Well, that is an intense passage. Uh, there's something that happens right at the beginning about the destruction of the Amalekites that we're not going to be able to get into this morning. And so I just want to say tomorrow night, we're going to be having our reversion re, re of that stuff in the Bible where we're going to focus on how does God, does God um, condone genocide, warfare? How does this work exactly? So we're going to be talking about that tomorrow night. So make sure you register Monday night, not Tuesday, Monday night uh, for that. And if you don't have a chance to be on there live and ask questions, you can jump on and watch it later because we'll be posting that. So I'm not going to handle the Amalekites stuff at this point. We're going to deal with some of the reality of Saul. Now, just to remember, last week we, we left judges and uh, where everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. And we had, we talked about Samson and, and the reality of him being just the epitome of that as one of the judges. And in the midst of the beginning of the book of Samuel, we have the people asking for a king and God grants their request. Even though it's actually not what he wants for them, he grants their request. They want a king that will go out with them like all the other nations. And so he gives them Saul. And, and, and Saul starts off pretty well. Like he seems kind of like this humble guy. He's kind of a gangly kid, it sounds like. You know, he's young, he's not sure. He's, he's talking about how he's from one of the least tribes and why is God even choosing him to be anointed king? And so he has this kind of humility, this kind of a smallness about him. And even when they try, if you remember in the reading, if you remember like he, they're about to anoint him king and Samuel comes into town to anoint him king and they're like, where's Saul? And he's like, hiding in the luggage. So I'm not sure whose luggage, but like he's in like the turnstile, you know, he's just hiding in there. So, so Saul's got this like, I I'm, I'm, shouldn't be the guy, I'm not the guy. 23 years later, we find ourselves after he's been king and he's had all kinds of victories over his enemies and God's been with him in multiple fronts. We find him here being given a command by the Lord and Saul continues what is the beginning of and the continuation of a downward spiral away from the word of the Lord. And what we see this morning, particularly in this passage, is the reality of how Saul deceives himself. This is an elaborate, very descriptive passage. One of the things that's awesome about First and Second Samuel, they're very descriptive, they're very vivid. You can just see yourself there, can't you? You're just imagining that, you know, Samuel's walking in and he's like, hey, so what's the deal with the sheep, you know? By the way, that's sarcasm in the Bible, in case you were wondering. That's why it's permitted in real life. That's what I tell myself. So, um... But Saul deceives himself. And so what we're going to look at this morning um, is that just like Saul, we deceive ourselves. Right? The invitation is not so much to think about foreign policy as it relates to warfare on this, as much as what does it mean for us to follow God in what he calls and invites us into. One pastor said that deceiving ourselves is not the worst thing that we do, but it's the reason we do the worst things we do. It's not the worst thing we do when we deceive ourselves, but it's the reason why we end up doing the worst things that we will do. And that's exactly what we see here with Saul. So we're going to look in two parts. One, we're going to say, how, does, how do we deceive ourselves first? And then what is the antidote to deceiving ourselves? So how do we deceive ourselves? Well, first we deceive ourselves by convincing ourselves that partial obedience is full obedience. We just convince ourselves, yeah, partial obedience, yeah, that's, it's, that's full obedience. And you see it right away here in the text, right? We see the, 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 that Saul, <laughs> Saul has been given a clear command. He's gone out, he's come back in, and Samuel comes to him. And Saul doesn't even wait for Samuel to speak, right? He runs to him and he's like, I did it. I did everything I was told to do, right? You, you can just kind of like the, you know, like if you ever walked into like after a crash in the bedroom and you walk in, your five-year-old's like, I didn't break it. You're like, I didn't say anything. 
Uh, but I didn't do it. Didn't do what? Right? So there's a sense in Saul that clearly he's running out to Samuel going like, I did it all. I did it all. It's, we're good. All is well. I obeyed. Of course, Samuel says, then, then why is there this bleeding of sheep? And he says, well, no, I, I went out and I, 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 di I did it. And Samuel says in verse 19, says, why didn't you obey? Why didn't you obey what God told you to do? And Saul once again comes back and says, I did obey. I did literally, I did hear the word of the Lord. I did listen to the voice of God. And then what's amazing is that in verse 20, he says that, and then he goes on. This is how self-deceived he is. He goes on to say the things that condemn him for not having done the things. He goes like, yeah, so, I mean, I, I didn't kill Agag, um, but, you know, we devote everything else to destruction, and, um, and then the people, they, they, they took some stuff, and he gives this explanation. Even the things devoted to destruction, those things we're going to be offering to God. He calls them the things devoted to destruction. He's self-deceived. He blends, he blends and bends God's comment and commands to his own ideas. This is Saul saying, listen, this is, this is what God meant. So, so I did this, the spirit of the law. I did the spirit of what he was telling me. I've, I'm convinced that this partial obedience really is full obedience because I've turned it into what I think it should be, right? And he is convinced that he's right. I did obey, he says. Saul's making up his own rules. And the hardest thing about it is that they're right next to the real thing. I mean, look at Samson last week. I mean, he's like, he's so far off the reservation, it's kind of obvious. It feels like walking up to Samson, you'd be like, bro, you're a mess. He'd be like, I am a mess. You know, like Saul, he's going like, I'm, I'm fine. What are you talking about? I did the stuff you said for me to do. I mean, in general, mostly, I'm convinced that this partial obedience is full obedience. Saul only obeyed God when it felt like it was to his advantage. Like, I mean, like, he, he, he destroyed the, the bad, you know, like the, the, the bad sheep and goats. He didn't want to keep those. He hangs on to Agag. What this reminds me us, reminds us of is that some of us don't want to hear the voice of the Lord, right? We don't really want to hear him. We, we don't put ourselves in places where we're going to hear the voice of the Lord. And so, so we don't even have these kinds of opportunities, these moments. Some of what we're inviting you to in the word this week is to hear, put yourself in a place where you're going to hear the voice of the Lord. Now, the next step is what are you going to do about it? But, but here, Saul's heard from the Lord, and some of us have heard the voice of the Lord, and, and we find ourselves picking and choosing what commands and what things are going to work for us exactly what Saul does here. He, he picks and chooses according to his wisdom, his thoughts, what works for him. And then he passes it off as the will of the Lord. He outwardly almost looks righteous. But even with his righteous look, he is still in rebellion. So let me ask you, what are, what are the things that are devoted to destruction in your life that, that you're just hanging on to? Things that the Lord has, has invited you to say, listen, this, this is not what my perfect will is for you. This is not how I long for you to walk in my ways. This is not that you're like, well, I'm just going to, 
we're just going to keep them nearby. It, it works for me. And, and I think in general, God's okay with this. What are the things devoted to destruction that still have their way in your life? And then secondly, what, in what ways are you reinterpreting God's word to fit your interpretation of how life should go, of how your life should go, of how my life should go? How am I taking what God says? And I'm just doing a, just a kind of a, an editing. I'm going to edit God according to what I need. And so self-deceive, deceive myself. So we deceive ourselves by convincing ourselves that partial obedience is full obedience. And secondly, we deceive ourselves by blaming others for our circumstances, others or our circumstances for our own disobedience. We blame others or our circumstances for our own disobedience. You see it here twice. First in verse 15, Paul says, says Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God and the rest we have delivered to destruction. See how he did that? Now they, and by the way, he literally just like, it's, there's not like, I think it's in NIV it's like those, the soldiers or the people. No, no, it just says they. It's like a general third person plural. Like, you know, the, the thumbs, thumb folks, they did stuff. Um, but over there, and, but we devoted to destruction. Do you see it? He's, he's blaming. He's blame shifting immediately over to the, the, the people. The people did it. I know, the people. They, what are you going to do? It wasn't me. This is, as, you know, it's as old as the garden, right? Where you have, you know, Adam going like, God, it was that woman you gave me, right? And the woman's like, God, it, it was that snake that was here, right? The snake doesn't get to say anything, but I'm just saying that's, it's, it's as old as the garden, and we know it well. I'm not going to take responsibility for what I've chosen. No, no, no. Like, you don't understand. There's a reason. Verse 24 says, Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commands of the Lord and your words because, he tells on himself here, because I feared the people and I obeyed their voice. You hear the right this you have not obeyed the voice of the Lord, the voice of the Lord came, I obeyed their voice. When he says I have transgressed, right? This is this sounds like confession, right? I have sinned. You know, like you got me. I I you're right. You know, you're right. It, you know, obedience is better than sacrifice, but he says not and that word transgress just means to overlook. Like I I've, over, I've overlooked this kind of detail about what was told to me. Like, how, how can I be really responsible? Because the people, the people, I was afraid of them. I mean, right, Samuel? I mean, like, it sounds like the things that appear in my heart. Listen, you don't understand the pressure that I'm under, right? You don't, you don't understand the financial stress that I'm living in. You don't, you don't understand the kind of pressure my boss is putting on me or the quota has for me. And so, like, so I have to be able to like, I, I, there's a reason why, right? I mean, like, like my husband just doesn't meet my needs, so, I, so I, I have to be able to find a way to meet my own needs. I, how can I be responsible for that? Because really, yes, I lose my temper, but everyone is so stupid. They're all wrong. They don't, they don't listen to me. That's your kids, my coworkers. They just don't, of course I lose my temper, but, it's, but, but come on. 
justify, blame our disobedience on our circumstances and on other people. So I'll say, I'm sorry, I'm repenting. It's not, it's self-pity. He's sorry that he got caught. He's sorry that, that, this, that, the, that there's consequences to his decision. That's all that we see here. It's obeying the voice of the Lord or obeying their voice. It's fearing the people or fearing the Lord. I think the question we need to ask ourselves is, we will deceive ourselves if we're listening to the voice of others, the circumstance of others, and to our own voice giving us justification. It says, because therefore I. So whose voice are you listening to? There's competing voices. It's not like there's the voice of the Lord and no other voices. There are competing voices in your life, right? There's competing voices in my life for distraction or to destroy, right? I mean, both of those are real. So whose voice are you listening to? Whose voices are around you, speaking into you? What are they calling you into? Loved ones, it was Saul's role, his job, his position, the authority he'd been given to lead the people to what God had said. That was his, that was his responsibility. That weight was on him. And he abdicated it and blamed them so that he could get what he had to get. I'll get to that in a minute. So we deceive ourselves by convincing ourselves that partial obedience is full obedience, by blaming others and circumstances for, for my disobedience. You just don't understand. There's reasons for this. We deceive ourselves by, justif by justifying our actions in light of, well, the other religious or righteous activity. And this is fascinating. Saul tries to justify his actions by claiming that he was doing what he was doing to honor God. Now, it's a roundabout way because he can't take full responsibility for it. He has to kind of blame the people but then take credit, right? Because they, they, took, they took it, but we're going to go and do this. We're going to go ahead and sacrifice at Gilgal, which is where he was anointed king. We're going to go back to, like, downtown with all the spoils, and we're going to give it to the Lord. What does he say in verse 21? But the people took the spoil, sheep and oxen, the best of the things that were devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God at Gilgal. We're going to sacrifice these to God, Samuel. To God. I mean, we're going to have a church service, y'all. It's going to be a feast, and we're going to celebrate our victory. Look at, look at what the Lord has done. This is righteousness. Like, we're, I'm doing good. Look at what we're doing. We're actually going to take these back to the very place, and we're going to, we're going to, we're going to raise a feast, and we're going to sacrifice these to the Lord. By the way, when you sacrifice, you get to eat, right? These are gifts of celebration. They're, they're offerings, free will offerings, which means you get to eat them. So, so you're offering them to the Lord, but you get them back. They're part of the feast, which is great when they're free will offerings, but they didn't belong to Saul. So Samuel says, Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. To listen than the fat of rams. God desires reality, not ritual. Sacrificing things to God is good. But obedience is better. 
because obedience is a sacrificing of our whole selves to God, right? Our will, our wisdom, our sense of what we're entitled to. It's a, it's a sacrificing of our whole selves to him, body, soul, and spirit, our pride to him. You know best, Lord. And the thing that's crazy about this is you can, you can Saul betrays his allegiance to God in, I think it's two, two or three times he finds himself saying, we're going to sacrifice these things to the Lord, your God. Not to the Lord, my God. Not to the Lord, our God. He, he's, he's your God. And, and look, we're going to be religious about this thing. And we're going to justify what we're doing with religious fervor. We're going we're to be good and specially excited about it. The question here, the issue here is not, it's not either or, it's, it's a both and, right? It's not obedience or sacrifice, or sacrifice or obedience. The difference between obedience and sacrifice is, is that sacrifice is just one part, one aspect of obedience. But obedience involves more than just sacrifice. And when we think that we can compensate for our lack of obedience with sacrifice... When we think that we can compensate for our lack of obedience with sacrifice, we find ourselves making a mockery of God. It's exactly what Jesus was saying when he's tell, giving the woes to the Pharisees and scribes. He's saying, woe to you in, in Matthew 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin, tiny little herbs, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, you strain out the gnat, but you swallow the camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate that the outside also may be clean. See how Jesus could have been standing there with Samuel just saying this to Saul? Saul, you're like cleaning the outside of the thing, but the inside is full of rebellion, right? It's full of greed. It's full of self-indulgence. I mean, you hear it? That, that's what he's challenging us with. This passage challenges us on. It's like, loved ones, like, if we're cleaning the outside, if we're, if we're making sacrifices to God, but our hearts are far from him, and we're justifying our disobedience, our straying from the Lord with the good things that we're doing, we are deceiving ourselves. And Saul has deceived himself. So we justify our gossip about our neighbor, about our, about our coworker, because, because of our stance and our support of, of a pro-life group or organization justify a, a hidden pornography because we're super faithful, but not only coming to church, but serving in church. We justify our, materi our materialism by, by giving money, sometimes sacrificially, here and there, every once in a while, as would seem fit. We justify our moral permissiveness and our license by being the kind of person who cares most about, who cares significantly, or at least mo more than anyone else around us, about injustice or, or about racism or Jesus would say, it's both. Samuel's saying it's both. Yes. Care and care. Be, be holy and be holy. Be whole. 
whole, Saul. You are not whole. All of it. When we're doing that, when we're, we're justifying our, we're, we're aiming, we're aiming at like trying to balance the scales, right? Which, by the way, is the humanist way of looking at life, right? It's like, am I doing more good? Am I doing more bad, right? You guys have already, you've heard this. You've heard, you've seen it in yourself. Like, well, at least I'm not. Well, at least it's not as bad as, right? So we're just trying to balance it. We're trying to go with net-net. Like net-net, am I up or am I down? Stock market, right? Am I up or am I down? Is my stock up or is my stock down? And if my stock's down for unrighteousness reason because I'm disobeying or ignoring the commands of the Lord, the good ones and, and the ones that are inviting us to repent, because we go, okay, then I'll just add some. I'll just, I'll just buoy up with some good stuff. Samuel looks at Saul and Jesus looks at us and says, that's not how it works. That's not how it works, loved ones. Listen, God doesn't want your goats and your sheep. He wants you. He, he, wants, he wants the whole of you, right? He, he wants all of your heart. He's, he's not interested in this partiality thing. He's not, he wants all of you because he has all of himself to give to you. Did you hear what Samuel says to Saul? Because you have rejected the Lord. The Lord has rejected you. It's not like, hey, the Lord's fickle. You know, he just kind of gets upset every once in a while. Boom, rejecting you. No, Saul is going to live out the reality of what it means to reject the Lord. And he's going to walk it out. He's walking it out right here in this moment. He's not repenting. There's, it's the tragedy of the absence of repentance here. Frankly, Saul, David's going to do worse stuff than this, right? He's going to like kill Uriah while he's sleeping with his wife and get her pregnant and, I mean, lie about it. I mean, make, David makes a mess, but when David is confronted, he said, I have sinned before the Lord, and his repentance is accepted. And right here we see Saul is not because he's deceived himself. What sacrifices are you holding on to? Are you holding out? What, what, are, you, what are you bringing to, to yourself, to your own soul, to, to other people? Maybe you're bringing them to God. Maybe you brought them here this morning. That is, that is justifying a disobedient, rebellious heart that you may get whatever you want because you have to have it. And we deceive ourselves, lastly, We deceive ourselves that we are not desperately chasing our own honor, our own identity, ultimately our own glory. You see, one of the things that's fascinating here is, is, is Saul, first of all, Saul, say, he spares Agag. You ever wonder why? It's like, why does he spare the king? Well, if you're going to walk back into downtown, to the place of all parades, and, and you're bringing the vanquished king, then you are what? You're the king of kings, right? You're, you're all, you're the best. That's what kings used to do. They would spare the kings so that they could be like under their feet, so they could show their supremacy. He spares Agag, and then of course, in verse 12, it says that he set up a monument for himself at Carmel on his way back from the victory. Saul has, he's tipping his hand, right? He's kind of showing us his cards. He has this, this victory, which is brought about by the hand of the Lord, comes back with all the spoils he's not supposed to have an Agag and, and on his way he builds a monument to himself 
That's a little tower. It's actually called a hand. Like it's just this, this, this thing that says Saul is awesome. Saul is worthy of honor. Saul deserves credit. He's deceiving himself. And yet, he's building the altar because he is so insecure. He is so unsure about himself when it comes to the kingdom. Still, 23 years in, he doesn't want to go against what the people want to do. He might lose their favor. They, if, he doesn't, if he says, that, listen, this is what God says, and ah, it's not my call, but we still need to do it this way. Like, I'm going to go and trust God and invite you to trust him too. Like, can we all do this? I'm the king. This is kind of what I, my job is. No, he, he doesn't. He's like, ah, they, they did it, and it looks like they're just going to take it. Okay, yay. And then here, on his way home, he makes sure everybody knows who did this. On his way with the, with the sacrifices that are not to be sacrificed, he goes back and makes a monument for himself. And you hear the insecurity. Verse 30, which we didn't read, he says, um, he says again to Samuel, he says, I have sinned, yet honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel. Like, man, Saul. He's just not as good at hiding it as I am, frankly. And maybe not as good as you are either. He's tipping his hand, right? He's showing us there's something far more powerful, far more, far deeper in him that has to be answered, that hasn't been answered yet. And that's the antidote. What's the antidote to deceiving ourselves? Saul is deceiving himself. How, what is the antidote to telling ourselves the truth, to hearing the truth and going, oh, that's me. Oh, that's what I do. Oh, that is, that is the reality of how I move towards people in situations. I did take that. I did, I did lie. I, I, I am not. The antidote is found in verse 17. It says, and Samuel said, though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribe of Israel, tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. You know why we have a hard time admitting our wrongs? Why when the, the Samuels in our life come and go like, you did this. Wh whether they're actually for us or not, it doesn't even matter is because it's revealing something that we have to have and we're afraid it's going to get uncovered and it's going to lose the power that it has to have in us. And the people came to Saul and said, hey, we want to keep these guys. Saul said, okay. And he revealed. He was unwilling to experience the scorn of his people. They're pouncing on the plunder, and I guess I'll just let it go, and then I'll just justify it and explain it away. We'll, we'll come off. Let's just take them over there, and we'll offer them to the Lord. It reveals our fears. and It reveals what, our, what our, our self image is based on, what the foundation of what holds us together. And so when anything comes that's going to tell us an opposite message from that, you've got to squash that. Ah, nah, 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 nah. I don't want to hear it. That's not what's happening. I, I am doing that. What are you talking about? 
Becky and I don't ever have any fights or anything, but if we did, um, and if she said something like, man, I don't feel like you're listening to me, and I respond, theoretically, I am listening to you. You're not hearing me. I've heard everything you said. Ladies, I know you know the answer to this, but am I? You see, I, I don't want to hear it, right? I don't actually want to hear her because she's going after something that I can't let go of. I have to have it. That's precisely what's happening here. That's why the verse 23 says, presumption or arrogance, stubbornness, is as, the iniqui as, as iniquity and idolatry. Stubbornness or, or arrogance or, or presumption is, is idolatry. It's something you're going to worship. It's you're going to get on your knees for it because that's the thing you have to have. And the antidote to that is, is what God tells, reminds Saul of too late, unfortunately, through Samuel. He says, listen, Saul, you were little in your own eyes. You... you you knew that you were small, and, and I made you big. Like, did I not appoint you as king over Israel? Is it because you were great? No, it's because I appointed you. It was grace for you. It was grace. And that was supposed to do something in you, and it hasn't. Loved ones, the antidote to our self-deception is the fact that we have received grace. Great, um, Saul couldn't see that he was uh, chosen by divine grace. So he's rejecting God's grace in order to build an identity of his own, which is it's what we do. It's what we do when we have to have it. And the antidote that God gives him here is uh, there's a, there's a great there's a great uh, illustration from Pastor named Edmund Clowney. Um, Becky and I have talked about this multiple times, but he, he, he preached a sermon on Deuteronomy 7, verses 7 and 8. I'm just going to read it to you real quick. And, and he says, this is what it says, right? This is God talking to the children of Israel um, about them before they go into the promised land. He says, it was not because you were more in number than any other peoples that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all the peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out of the mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. It's not because you were awesome that I rescued you. It's not because you were awesome that I loved you. I loved you because I loved you. I loved you because I love you. Not because there was, it's a circular argument. And Edmund, in his sermon, talks about, he says, listen, imagine if you were to get married, as your wife says to you, why do you love me? He says, well, I count the ways, you know. I mean, you're beautiful. You're, you're fit for someone your age, you know. Because um, you've got to qualify things as a man. Um, and you're smart, and oh, man, you're funny. Like, you're so, you're one of the funniest people I know. And like, and like, man, you, like, you've been able to like provide for our family by having like a, like a really great career while managing children. I mean, like, da -da -da -da, like you're awesome. I can't I count the ways. And here's the, this is what Edmund said. He says, what's funny, what's interesting is that in that moment, 
Ladies, you'll appreciate this. Men, you'll appreciate this. In that moment, you immediately know that the basis of why you're loved has been identified. What happens when you're no longer so? I love you because you're so beautiful. What happens if I gain weight or if I, if I, if I you know, like get old, like, you know, years tend to do? What happens if I don't really want this career anymore or I lose my job or what happens if like I get, you know, like disabled or something happens to me that I can't like go on the fun hikes we were going on before? You see, see, I love you because means immediately I must live up to that in order to be accepted. That's, that's how it works. The only thing that frees the heart to be able to be able to move towards that which we don't want to see is when we find ourselves loved unconditionally. It's the only thing that frees your heart. Because if you love me, because I am blank, then that blank becomes my basis for love. What God says here is, do you not understand? I love you because I love you. Oh, children of Israel, I love you because I love you. Not because you're great, clearly not because you're obedient, right? I mean, you've been reading, oh my, there is none of that, so... But I loved you because I loved you. Do you not see, Saul, do you not see that you were, you were small in your own eyes, but, but I made you big because of who I am. And now you can live into that in a way that allows you to obey and follow and listen and be strong and courageous and take on the people when they want to take the sheep. You say, no, this is not what the Lord calls us to. I know who I am. I've been anointed by the Lord, not because I'm great, not because I need to put up a monument for myself, but because he has already called me to be his son. I am an heir. I'm a prince of Israel. And loved ones, this is what the gospel tells us. That in Christ Jesus, we don't just have an idea about grace. We have a person of grace. And it invites you to say, listen, like you are heirs of the kingdom, Ephesians says. Like heirs, like your sons and daughters, your princes and princesses of the king of kings, way more than Agag. Like, I'm talking king of kings. And to the degree in which that sinks down into our soul, that we know that we are unconditionally loved because he loves us, not because you're good, not because you're pretending to be spiritual. God doesn't buy that anyway. But because he loves you, it frees you to be able to go, I'm going to look at the reality that is. I'm going to look at all the things that, that, that come to me that are, I will not deceive myself anymore. I can look at the broken. I can look at the imperfect. I can look at that which needs to change, and I'm not afraid because nothing can be taken from me. Now, that's powerful from the Lord. It's actually essential. That's the only way in which we become free people, the unconditional love of God in Christ Jesus, which is why the gospel is so powerful. And it's one of the things we get to do with one another. We get to be agents of that. We get to practice it with each other in marriage, in friendship, in community. One of the things that a community is, just pull up, Hebrews uh, 3.13. Community, it says, but exhort one another. This is what community looks like. But exhort one another every day, as long as the day is called, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Do you hear it? Like sin lies to you. You're, it's going to deceive you. And what we do with each other is go like, hey, listen. Here's something that's going on. And I want to invite you out of that into the truest thing about you. And that is that you are loved because you're loved because of Jesus. And from that, we've got buoyancy. It's not a basis anymore. Now the basis is Jesus. The basis is God's love for you, like all is well. You don't need to erect something of honor. You have honor. 
You have honor today, right now, because of him. Not because of you, because of him. And so you get to come to a table as a table of honor that you belong at. Not because you made yourself good and able and, and belonging, but because you belong in him. You see the power of the gospel? It's the only way. You will continue to deceive yourself. I will continue to deceive myself. I'll continue to justify. I'll continue to blame. Unless there's no one to blame, and I'm not afraid to take the responsibility. Do you see? That's what freedom looks like. Real freedom. Not self-determination. Freedom in God. To follow God. To be made alive by God. To be loved by God. And that's what this meal is, right? This meal is, is, is a feast of sons, daughters, heirs of the kingdom. Come and remember the price of your, of your adoption, the price of what you've been brought in by and for, that you may go out free. When you take this little, you, know, you take hopefully good bread, or you take the little tiny terrible cup thing and whatever, like it's, I know it's one day, we'll get bread again. But when you, when you take this, you, like the magnitude of what is being declared over your soul is to go into your, is to go into your body. That's, that's what we're doing. We're remembering deep in our soul. So let us drive it in. Let us be people who remind each other of it. That you're loved because you're loved. And I want to show you that as best I can, but I want to point you more to the one who did. And that's what I'm pointing you to right now. So let's take a minute here. Prepare our hearts and let God invite us to his meal of grace and of love for our sake. Father.